Thank you for listening to a Quiet Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Romans 7, verse 13 down through verse 25. The sermon title this morning is The Limits of the Law. The Limits of the Law of the law. Here is the word of the Lord. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law weighing war, waging war against the law of my mind and make me cap, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God With my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This passage has sparked great debate from the early church fathers on to St. Augustine, to the Reformers, to the Puritans, and up into present day. And the, the debate is over who the Apostle Paul is in chapter 7. Is he unregenerate Paul, pre Christ Paul? Or is Paul talking about himself as a believer? And the debate has raged and commentators have gone back and forth. And there is a case to be made that Paul is referring to himself pre-Christ in this section that I just read. And then there is a strong case that argues the point that Paul is actually talking about the Christian life. He's talking about his own life, his experience walking with God as a pastor and as a Christian. So I want to give you both cases, and then I want to show you why I think there is a conclusive answer here, even though it is debated. So I want to give you the case for this section being the unregenerate Paul. The unregenerate Paul. And we have to keep in mind some things that were said in Romans chapter 6, which I'll remind us of here in a second. But there are things in Romans 7 that we just read that we find it hard to believe that a believer in Christ would say. For instance... In verse 14, Paul says, in verse 14, he says, But I am of the flesh sold under sin. I am of the flesh sold under sin. And what rises 
in our minds as we're thinking about Romans 6 and talking about the flesh being crucified to Christ and us being united with Christ. Is, and, and after Paul's saying that sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace, how can he now be saying that I am of the flesh sold under sin? How can a believer say that? And then in verse 15 he says, I do the very thing I hate. I keep on doing the very thing I hate. It sounds like the man in Romans 7 is captured by sin. It seems like he, he's powerless to do anything about it. In fact, in verse 18, he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, in light of what's said in Romans 6, those who think that Paul is referring to himself all in past experience here, they say, well, in verse 2, in Romans 6, we're told that we're dead to sin, that a Christian is dead to sin. Does this sound like a man who's dead to sin in Romans 7? Well, it sure doesn't sound like that. How can this be Paul as a believer if he said that in one chapter earlier that you're dead to sin? It seems like he's very alive to sin. Or in verse 6, he says the old, in, in chapter 6, he says that the old self is crucified to Christ so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. But here he's saying that I'm powerless to do anything. I don't even have the ability to do what I want to do. I don't have this ability to carry it out. And then in verse 14 he says, Sin will have no dominion over you in chapter 6. So one chapter later, what's Paul saying here? And so the case is laid out. How could Paul possibly be describing himself as a Christian? Let me just ask you, do you understand the argument? If sin's not going to have dominion over you, and your old self has been crucified, then why the turmoil in chapter 7? Why is Paul saying, I feel, I'm sold under sin? I don't have the ability to carry it out. What's going on? And certainly the Holy Spirit wouldn't have the Apostle Paul speak out of both sides of his mouth one time in Romans 6 and another time in Romans 7. Self-contradictory, so close together, so few words apart, so contradictory accounts. What's going on? So now the case for the regenerate Paul, which is the position that I take, and I think you'll see why here in a second. How can a non-believer say the following. In Romans 7, verse 15, he says, I don't do what I want, which is the same argument of this being a non-believing Paul. But here's the whole point. What does he want to do? What does Paul want to do? He wants to obey. That's what Paul wants to do. He wants to obey God. That's his desire. In verse 18, he says that I have the desire to do what is right. And in verse 22, he says... I delight in the law of God in my inner being. The deepest part about me, I delight in God's law. And the question I have for those who take the other position is how can a non-believer say those things? How can a non-believer say that I delight in the law of God in my inner being? And I think the key is in verse 14. We started in verse 13 today, but in verse 14 something interesting happens. In verse 13 we, we hear past tense. And everything in the text is leading up to Verse 13, where we hear past tense, past tense, past tense, past tense. And in verse 14, there's a key transition. And I think this is pretty overwhelming. In verse 14, there's a transition from past tense to present tense. Paul speaks from back then, and now he starts speaking right now. For I know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. He starts talking about himself right now in this moment. So I think uh, it's pretty conclusive that Paul is switching back then, and now I'm going to talk to you about my Christian life now, right now. 
And there's some battle, there's some tension here, but I think the evidence for this being the Apostle Paul as a Christian is absolutely overwhelming. And then when I consider the text itself, when I actually like, think about what it actually says, I can hear every Christian stand up with the Apostle Paul, and after he says in verse 15, for I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, the very thing I hate, that's what I do, I can stand with Paul and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm with you. And I think every believer in this room can say with Paul, yep. I think Paul is, as a Christian, describing what it looks like to pursue sanctification. But here's what we're getting at, the heart of what we're getting at today. I think what Paul is describing is what sanctification looks like when you pursue Christian growth through the law and not through the gospel. I think what Paul is describing here is what sanctification looks like when you forget about Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, what happens when we misuse the law? When we misuse the law of God? Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, above all, I repeat, Paul's original intention in this chapter is to prove that the law was never given either to justify and here's the key, or to sanctify. The law was never given to justify, to make us right with God. The law can't make anybody right with God. Only Jesus can do that. He is the only one who fulfilled the law. But also, the law cannot empower us to grow in Christ. Get to work, do this, do this and live. If we look at God's law and agree that's good and that's right, but we take our eyes off of Christ then the law is actually powerful to sanctify, or it's powerless to sanctify as well. And Lloyd-Jones says, indeed, the law has become an actual hindrance in both respects. And we have to be set free and delivered from it before we can either be justified or sanctified. I suggest then that this is the theme of the section. It's about what the law, what it can do, and now we're talking about what it cannot do. The limits of the law. What can the law not do? So here, here's the deal. If we're following Jesus, we love his grace, and, and then we get into this cycle of, yeah, I, I love Jesus, and I, I'm thankful for him that he saved me, and his grace got me into this thing, but I'm going to keep myself in the grace of God through following his law. I'm going to now do this. Jesus has done his part. Now I'm going to put my eyes on the law of God, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to kick some booty. And I'm going to do this thing. And we puff our chest out, I'm a child of God after all, and I'm going to follow God's law. What happens when we take our eyes off Christ as a believer? And I think that's what this section of scripture is talking about. So verse 13 and 14, look with me. We're going to see a review from last week and then a transition that's going to take us into this week's verses. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am sold under the flesh, sold under sin. So last week we talked about how the law of God is good, right, and holy. That God's law is not evil. We should not put the law and the gospel uh, and pit them against each other to say that the gospel of God is good, but the law of God is somehow bad. But what the law is intended to do is not to save us, it's actually to show us that we need to be saved. 
The law of God shows us that it's good and we are not. And so if we understand the mountain of God's law rightly, we won't say, I can climb that hill, but we will look to Jesus, who's the one who did climb that hill. And we will say, I can't, but Jesus did. We'll look at God's law and say, that's good, I'm not good, because I've broken those laws. That's what the law can do, and what it is good for. It shows us our own sinfulness. And we look in verse 13, and we see this past tense. It was sin in me. That was bad. It was sin in me. That was bad. That's what it was. Past tense. Now God's law is holy and exposes those as we've stated. And it drives us to cry out for God's mercy which is found in Christ and in Christ alone. As we shake in our boots, as we stand in the mud, as we see the desperate state that we're in, we cry out and we say, God, will you please help me? Because I'm a lawbreaker. That's what law, God's law does. But then in verse 14, he says that the law is spiritual, so we're still talking about the law here, but I am of the flesh. He begins to talk present tense, sold under sin. Now what could Paul possibly be meaning here? Because we've already been told, like stated before in Romans 6, that we are crucified with Christ, the old man is gone, we are now united with Christ, all of that which is Christ's actually belongs to me. So in what sense, after being told that sin will have no dominion over you, in what sense is Paul now saying that I am sold under sin? And this is where I think Martin Lloyd-Jones is right. I think what we're talking about here is experientially in the Christian life, the law of God still has the ability to bog us down when we look away from Jesus. And let me just ask you again experientially, for you, okay, as a Christian, when you take your eyes off of Christ and you turn them to yourself and to God's law, have you ever felt like the demands of God's law? Have you just felt like a wet blanket is just laying over the top of you? We've felt it. We've all experienced that. Have you ever felt like you're just sold under sin? That it's just like sin is all I can see right now. Just where are the evidences of grace here? My goodness, I'm just a mess. And that's what happens when our eyes drift from Jesus and to ourselves. And our ability to walk this Christian life out. So I think Paul is going to describe for us something really helpful. And I think we can avoid getting into some of the traps that Paul is going to talk about here. And I found it very comforting that when Paul wrote this, Paul had been a pastor for many years. This is one of his last letters written. This is wise old Pastor Paul. And here is pastor just like one of us, Pastor Paul. The man that God used to write a lot of the New Testament. And here he is talking about and describing his life in such a way that all of us here from the early stages of walking with Jesus to walking with Jesus through the decades, we can all say, yep, been there. I've cried some of the same tears that you've cried, Paul. I've, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. And so I think the call for all of us when we ask, what, where does the Holy Spirit take the Apostle Paul after talking about the internal knots that he has and he's experiencing walking as a Christian, where does the Holy Spirit take the Apostle Paul? And I think that's where the Holy Spirit is going to take us today, the same place. So what happens when we try to grow in Christ through the law, through what we, my ability to carry it out? We're saved and the challenge, I think, for us is don't move past Jesus. Don't, don't buy the lie that you can outgrow Jesus. That somehow or another in this Christian life, the longer you walk with God, the longer you've lived this Christian faith out, don't buy the lie that 
the longer you live this thing out, the less you need Jesus. Because if you've been walking with the Lord a long time, you should know decades in, more decades in than the day you were surrendered your life to Christ, how desperate you actually are for Christ. And you should not wave your banner up high and say, I need Jesus less. We need him more. We're desperate for him. And then in verse 15, so we're kind of making this shift now. Verse 15 may be one of the most human verses in all of the Bible because it just connects us all where we can all shake our head and say, I know exactly, exactly where you are at, Paul. I can be in the room praying the same prayer as you as the tears are falling off the page, as you're crying out to God, as you're writing on that papyrus, as you're in that room. You, we're in the room with you, Paul. And we're crying out because I've said the exact same thing. Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. But the very thing, but, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't understand my own actions. Welcome to the world, to what it means to be human. Well, there's sometimes we understand the things we do. But so often we look at our lives, we kind of put our head in the pillow at the end of the, end of the night, and we think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? My tongue is still not tamed. My posture, my countenance, my decision-making, my anger from the inside. Why am I so angry? Have you ever been set off by something so small and later you wonder, what was that about? Like, what in the world? And here is Paul, again, walking with the Lord for so long. And here he is saying what we've all experienced. I don't know why I do that. I don't understand the thing I want to do. I want to obey. I want to be a better man. I want to follow the Lord. I want to obey his law. But the very things I hate, that's what I do. You can see there's tension there's turmoil. Want to obey Jesus every moment of every day. So what in the world is going on? We all get this. And if you don't get this, then it may be that you're kind of walking and living in Neverland a little bit. And you're not coming down to reality. Because I think this is a tension that's in every single believer. And it's not in every single believer every single moment. But if you don't ever experience what Paul is saying right here, I don't think you live in reality. There are tensions in us about who we want to be and who we are. Who we want to be and who we are. We say, there's a man I want to be. There's a lady I want to be. For you ladies in the room. For the young men and women. There's a young man I want to be or a young woman I want to be. And where I want to be and where I am, I find this tension and I don't know why. I just try and I try and I try. And I might make a little progress, but then Thursday at noon happens and then it's all gone to pot. It's just one of the most human verses in all of the Bible. And then Paul takes us into a place of turmoil. And as he describes this, again, every one of us at some point has been there. And keep in mind as we go through this, I think this is what happens in the life of the believer each time, in every time, in every season, 
that our focus goes away from Jesus? For goodness sakes, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 reminds Timothy, pastor to pastor, he says, hey, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ. Well, what, did Pastor Timothy forget? So simple. Remember Jesus. Because what happens when we forget? When our eyes go away from the person and the work of Jesus, and they're turned to our work and our ability, and I think this is exactly, experientially, what we will walk in if we try to do this thing on our own. If we try to hang the hat of our salvation on our life and our performance and how we can do, even through the activity of the Holy Spirit, even as we just depend on the Holy Spirit to live out God's law today, even through dependence upon the Holy Spirit, when we turn our eyes away from Christ, I think this is what we get. Look at verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. If you want like a tongue twister, read those three or four verses in a row five times. And see what happens. Paul is describing a man who loves the law. He agrees with the law in verse 16. The law is good. And we see how he loves the law. That's who he is. It's who he is at the deepest level. That's me. I, I am a lover of God's law. I want to obey it. And he knows that it's good. And then in verse 17 we see that when I sin, it's not me sinning in me. And what I think is so crucial about verse 17 is that even in this turmoil, he knows that, that sin is not his ultimate identity. Even though there's this conflict, even though there's this war, even though this battle, he knows that the deepest part about him is not that sin. It's not the sin that dwells in me. Or it's sin. It's not I who do it. It's the sin that dwells in me who does it. It's not me. I, Paul, for Paul, sin is not Paul's core identity, even in this time of turmoil. To be fair, the sin is in him. And he is sinning, but he's saying that that's not the deepest part about me. But I want us to see the mess that he's in. And you can't read these four verses without just standing back and saying, okay, Paul is in turmoil here. He keeps doing the things he doesn't want to do. And you can see the tears coming out of his eyes. You can see him down on his knees crying out. You can see him pinning this memory out. And you can just put yourself there. It's almost like you want to put your arm around him and say, Paul, hey, hey, lift your, lift your head up. Look to Jesus here. Look to Jesus here. You're in a mess, I know. And if you're crying out with somebody or you're hearing somebody cry out in a room and they're saying the very things Paul says, you know what counsel we bring them to is, hey, hey remember Jesus here. You're a forgiven man. You're, you're a forgiven woman. Move forward. Keep your head up. But here is Paul, bogged down by sin, bogged down, I think, by taking his eyes off of Christ. And pursuing this thing on his own. And he is feeling what he has already been freed from objectively. He's been freed from sin. It won't have dominion over you. But taking his eyes off Christ. Trying to fulfill the law. He's in the same type of place. It seems like experientially that he used to be. I'm just bogged down. I can't do it. It's got him tied up in knots. 
He knows he's in this mess. It's not sin. It's, it's not me. It's sin. And confusion abounds and frustration abounds. And I can only imagine what, what Paul, as he's pinning this, as he's remembering back, as he's just thinking. And if the attractiveness of the law, because God's law is holy, right, and good, the attractiveness of the law, if, if that can be a temptation to Paul, the attractiveness of the law over Christ, if that could, could get to Paul, then I think it can happen to us as well. And what I want to definitively say to us this morning is that trusting in the law will never bring freedom for the believer. Trusting in the law or your ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep God's law. That's subtle, but it's huge. Trusting in the law or trusting in your ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep God's law. Trusting in that will never bring you freedom. Ever. You'll be tied up in so many knots. You'll be crying out in desperation with the Apostle Paul. You'll be, take, you'll be taken to the brink of desperation, feeling the weight of all the demands, feeling frustrated at your performance. And there are a few things that you can absolutely take to the bank when that happens. Look at verse 21 with me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Let me just ask you again. Is that true? When you don't want to do right, when growth is about to happen, when you're in a place where it's like, yes, I'm going to do this. What happens? Evil is right there. Evil is right there. Temptation just around the corner. The wily enemy shooting his darts at you. Satan and demons hating you. The world coming against the Bible and its worldview, and the world screaming at you, calling God's truth lies. When we want to do right, war is about to happen. Evil lies close, right there. It's right at hand. It's right there for you. The moment you put your flag in the ground and you say, no more. Addiction done. Temptation, done. That sin, it's over with. That person I am or used to be, it's done and it's over with. The next day, the next hour, temptation, evil lies close at hand. There it is. Guys, this, this, is, so, this is universal. This is universal. Welcome to Christianity. This is universal. It's everywhere. When we want to do it, evil is right there. We love God's law. We want to obey but look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. When we trust in God's law or trust in our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's law, you can take these things to the bank. You will be brought to the brink it leads the Christian, although set free by grace, to experientially be held captive by the law and by sin again. A Christian walking in daily captivity because they've forgotten Christ. And they've turned their mind and their heart and their focus back here. My ability to keep God's law, my ability to walk through the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience 
Focus, attention, right here. Captivity. Trusting in the law or our ability to keep it never brings freedom. And the Christian life whose aim is there rather than on the gospel, rather than on the good news, ends up back in captivity. And that's why many believers walk around actually feeling condemnation every day. Guilt, seeing their sins and not actually believing that their sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Infinitely far. You can't measure it because it goes out in infinite directions as far as the east is from the west. And you tell a Christian who's bogged down by sin that truth and they're prone to not believe it. Or to not run to Jesus to pray. To not cry out to their Heavenly Father. Prone to avoid their Heavenly Father. This is what John Gunther, my friend, felt. For five months he said, I left my church. I walked away from my wife. I walked away from my child. Or my, my, my nephew. I walked away from God. And I felt I could not pray. And then Romans 8.1 got me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But to those who are bogged down looking at their self, they just don't believe it. Nope. That can't, it's too good to be true. No, because I know what I deserve. I know how I've been doing. Don't tell me I can come to God and get grace this week after my week. After my failures. After my sin. After my struggle. Don't tell me I, I can come in the presence of the Heavenly Father and dine at His table. Don't tell me that His favor is still upon me. Maybe next week. After I get in line. What's the end of all this? Where does it bring you? When we forget Christ, embrace the law, look at ourselves. where does it take us? How far does the bottom go? We see the depression of Paul. Paul crying out, hating life itself. Some of you have been there. He cries out, wretched man am I. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The depressed Christian right here, depressed from their own inability, depressed from their own sin, from their own frailty, from their own inability to do what God commands. After all, we have the Holy Spirit. We should be beyond this. And here is Paul. You can see him. Again, it's almost like he invites us to be that fly on the wall. And he's crying out, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Some, some of you know what that body of death feels like. You just know, you know it. You've experienced it. After you're a Christian, you've experienced it. Wise old Pastor Paul, you know, I love that Paul doesn't try to spice up his Christian life and act like none of these things ever happened to him. Aren't you glad that the Bible's brutally honest? Friends, there's going to be times in your life. And some of you more than others, where you just, you're there. You're in the room with Paul saying, I know. I know. And so we need to be reminded. We need to prepare beforehand. We need to be reminded of some truth this morning. Because the Holy Spirit is going to take Paul 
a direction. He's not going to keep Paul crying out. And then Paul's writing for us, not just for him, for us to remember this. When we're there, where does the Holy Spirit take the Apostle Paul after he's a Christian and after he's in agony, feeling like he's being beat up by sin, feeling all tied up in knots, frustrated that he's not doing what God commands, where does God take the Apostle Paul? Why is old Pastor Paul? And then where, where's our answer? Where do we go when we're in this situation? When it's us crying out these things, where do we go? What do we need to be reminded of? Do we need to be told, get to work, young man. Get to work, young woman. Pat on the back. No, you can do it. Go out and try again. You got this. Or do we need to be told about something that's been done for us? Do we need to be told about the work of another? Capital A, another. Do we need to be reminded of some truth of what God has done for us? And I think, yes, we do. Paul cries out, who will rescue me from this body of death? Where does he take us? Where does the Holy Spirit take us? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where does God take the apostle? In the moment of desperation, in the moment of despair, when depression is on so hard, when frustration over the slowness of our spiritual growth, even if we are older and walking with the Lord for years and years and years, where does God take Paul back to the simplicity of Jesus Christ? Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That is the answer. For the Christian who's beat down by God's law and our inability to keep it, for the Christian who has forgotten Christ, for the Christian who is crying out to God with tears on the floor, where do they run? Who will deliver Paul? Who will deliver you? Who will deliver us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Christ. Why? Because He is our deliverer. He is the one we look to. He is where our eyes and hearts must turn. Why? Because He is the one who obeyed His heavenly Father, who climbed that mountain, who obeyed His Father perfectly on our behalf. He, in a garden of temptation, he, in a wilderness of temptation, a desert with the enemy there tempting him, didn't give in. He looked back at that enemy and he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he did not doubt God's word as Adam did and as you did. He obeyed God's word. He listened to God's word. And he marched obediently every single moment of every single day all the way to the cross, fulfilling God's law perfectly. For you, that when you in moments of despair, even as a believer looking to yourself, can be reminded, would you look to Jesus? Would you look to Christ? The work has been done. The burden has been lifted. Your sins are forgiven. You are counted righteous. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. And there is no barrier between you and the God of the universe, even in this moment. You say, well, I don't feel like that. Thank God his grace is not depending upon his, on your feelings. I don't feel like I can come to him, or it's not, I don't, I don't, I, I just can't accept that, I, I can't understand. 
His grace is there for you. If you're a child of God, you are a child of God and His favor rests upon you even as we cry out, who will rescue me? He is where our mind must turn. Now, as we go there and as we're reminded, and I've, there's several people that I talk to in my life and we encourage and I need encouragement in this way. When people are in sin, you know what they need to be reminded of? They don't need to be told, well, you should be doing better, dummy. You know what we need to be told? There's grace in Jesus. And you're the Lord's. Get your head up. Look to Christ. It's a new day. It's going to be okay. Let's try again today. Look into Jesus. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it. He's with you. He's for you. You're forgiven. Don't hang on to that shame. Don't hang on to that condemnation. Because in Christ there is none. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to be reminded of. That's what Paul, Pastor Paul, needed to be reminded of because he never outgrew the basics of the Christian faith. He never outgrew the cross of Christ. And neither shall we. There is no Christian who can say, well, I've, I'm beyond the gospel of Jesus. No, you're not. It's the deep end of the pool. It's the deep end of the Christian faith. As Tim Keller said years ago, the the gospel of Jesus is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z to the Christian faith. And you never get to a point where the words forgiven are not impactful to you. You are a forgiven man or woman if you are in Christ. Let us therefore be quick to remember Christ. Now, there's an interesting thing here because in verse 25b, the second half, here's what Paul says. So then I myself... After saying thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And here's what I think all of us need to be made aware of. Even when we look to Jesus, we have to know that the war, even though won, there are still battles within. And until we die, even being reminded of the work of Jesus, there's still going to be battles. There's still going to be battles. Paul, even after saying, this is my deliverance, this is my rescue, this is my hope, says that there's still going to be a battle. It is a victorious battle. It is sure and certainly ours because Christ has won and given us his victory. But the tensions between the mind and the body or the mind and the flesh will be there until Christ returns. And that's why saints of old have cried out and we cry out with them, Maranatha, come quickly. Jesus, come. We want you to return. We want the battles to be over. Come, Lord Jesus. So even though that remains, and I love that this little verse was sandwiched in. So you have 25 and then 25a, 25b, and then right back, and in those scriptures, we know that they were not written with chapters and verses. Those were added later. And then we get Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which is what brought our brother John home. And Romans 8, 1 is where we're going to end this week and start next week. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there for us, beloved? How much? Are you sure about that? What about when you're struggling this week? Is there any condemnation for you? What about you're crying out for desperation on the floor in your room, crying out snots in the carpet, crying out, who will rescue me? 
Any condemnation for you? None is none. None. And if you feel condemned, that isn't God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit brought the Apostle Paul in his moment of weakness, and you and I in our moments of weakness, to just simply remember Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for me. I can face the rest of the day. I can face tomorrow. I can face this week by the grace of God. It's not up to me to keep God's law this week. Jesus did that for me. I am free. There's no better news than the free, empowering grace of God. If you're not a believer here this morning, what I'm talking to you about is foreign because you can't hear this message anywhere else. There's no other message like it in the world. Grace differentiates the message of Christ to any other message in the world. Every other message of the world says, get to work, it's up to you. Christianity is an offer and a proclamation. The work's been done. Repent and believe. There's nothing else like it. There's no other message. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and live today. If you're a believer this morning, believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. A man once said to the Lord Jesus Christ, we turn to Jesus in song. We turn to Jesus when we come to the table and we simply remember and enjoy that there's no condemnation for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have rescued us from this body of death. You will rescue us from, the, from this body of death. You are our deliverer. You will always be our deliverer, and we thank you for that. Thank you that you have not given the responsibility of our deliverance to us. We cannot deliver ourselves, but you are faithful and just to do it time and time again. So if there's any believer in here this morning that just said, man, I'm with the Apostle Paul like this week. I mean, this morning on the way here, I felt condemned and just felt the weight of all I'm supposed to be as a man, all I'm supposed to be as a woman, all I'm supposed to be, and all that God wants for me. And I'm a Christian, and I feel so bogged down and exhausted. And I pray this morning that those words, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And we would imperfectly look this morning to the work of Jesus the perfect work of Jesus. And we would just enjoy that there's no condemnation. God, you're pleased with us. We thank you for that. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would grant repentance. You would give them the ability to repent of their sins and trust in you. Holy Spirit, just lead. I trust that you're going to. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If anybody here would like prayer, I would gladly pray with you. You can pray obviously with people in your row. Kids, if you need to pray with somebody, you can talk to your dad, talk to your mom, or anybody else around. If you want prayer, I can pray. If not, let's just sing to the Lord and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's sing. <laughs>